2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Manchester United win the Carabao Cup in the end a relatively straightforward win for Eric Ten Hag's side. If Casemiro was a panic buy, sometimes it's quite good to panic. More proof he was being held back at the bow. The Loris Carrier story arc had neither a glorious or a tragic end. And so the overexcited Geordies in the Trafalgar Square Fountain will have to wait for a bit more Saudi investment before ending their drought. In the Premier League we've already done one emergency Chelsea manager podcast this season and frankly we don't have time to do one today. Graham Potter's side anemic once again this time at Spurs. Arsenal and City both win at the top while West Ham score four brackets four goals. Danny Ings knows where the goal is. A big first win for Javi Gracia, a big second defeat for Sean Dyche and Liverpool still aren't quite at it. Also today Celtic win the Scottish League Cup. We pay tribute to John Motson and the pod finally reaches the North Pole all that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly on the panel today Nader Manuha welcome good morning sir good morning Dave says starting the sweepstakes now for the first to be totally honest of the pod what are we saying I'm going the 12th minute welcome Troy Townsend uh,
3: to be totally honest that's totally out of to the question <laughs> that so yeah good morning by the way <laughs>
2: And Mark says, is Barry going to speak before eight minutes, 50 seconds this time? It took me completely by surprise on Thursday. I'd forgotten he was on. Welcome, Barry. Hello, Max. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Uh, let's start with the uh, Carabao Cup final. Then Dave said, should be happy that the pre-Nation State Club beat the Nation State Club. Um, Nadam, you were there um, and uh, you talk to us now from a windowless hotel room in Houston. <laughs> Uh, yes. Because as we've established uh, before the pod, you're a frugal man. Yes. Um. So obviously you, there's, you've got nothing to see, nothing to take your attention away from the podcast. I didn't think that was a fascinating game of football myself.
0: Yeah, I know, I know where you're coming from. And I think if you are linked to either of the football clubs, then obviously it's a huge storyline itself. But the nature of the game, it wasn't the most frenetic end-to-end thing, tons of chances and so on. And then also, this is the side of things which I find quite interesting. Before the match, I was speaking on a show and they were t- obviously, you know, this is my main show. Thank you. I spoke yes. on another show somewhere out there. And they were making the point that Newcastle have got the the stat for the lowest amount, the smallest amount of time that the ball stays in play for during a match. And then they went 2-0 down. And Man United did exactly to them what Newcastle allegedly have been doing to other teams. So I think for United it's a big moment for them to be winning a trophy we could see from the fans they were happy to do it but you could see they've done it before whereas for the newcastle fans you had 30 40000 fans in the stadium and another 60000 around london that was such a big day for them and in the game they definitely had a goal but you kind of sense based on the way that the weeks have gone recently that newcastle being down was almost like this is how it's going to finish i think they needed to score first to sort of ask more questions of united but instead when United have got someone who can manage a game like a Casemiro and others, I think his status he's won 15 of his 16 finals. Like, get that guy in a final, you've got a lead and you feel quite confident that you'll be able to get a result. But yeah, overall, it wasn't the best of games, but then for United, it doesn't need to be. It just needs to be enough to win a trophy, tick that off and then go and get ready for the next one and just like to give a special shout-out to all those United fans that were throwing up two fingers at me, single fingers, everything. And uh, it's great it's great to see you here as Man United are back in City or um, something else, here. Yeah? So, yeah, thank you to all those guys for making me feel so welcome. It was a fantastic day, one I'll remember forever.
4: Just out of curiosity, Nadim, were the Newcastle fans doing the same, given your Sunderland
0: previous? No, no, no. So, yeah. Because I was only there for a year, I think they've got like a light level of hatred for me. But because I played for City for so long and I still live in the City, like they're acutely <laughs> aware of the fact that I, I wanted that game to finish in a draw and get it cancelled. So uh, they definitely let me know. And the funniest one actually that I heard was it was United fan who was shouting at me, saying it was a conspiracy that let Man City win the title in 2012. He's saying you were a disgrace. You gave it to QPR. You gave the ball to City. They went and scored. You are a shambles. And I thought, oh, he's joking but he's looking me dead in the eye, like 100% serious. Sorry, man, I've just got to go and do some work. I'll be, I'll be right back. Sounds like we could do, we could do a
2: 10-part podcast series on the conspiracy of Nadem handing the Aguero title to Manchester City. Troy Graham has asked a question. Is Casemiro the, the best steady Eddie in the world? That's sort of damning with faint praise for quite a talented footballer.
3: It's amazing how people have dismissed his time at Real Madrid, almost as if he was a bit part towards all their many trophy-laden um, seasons. Um, wh- listen, he's the bit. He's the bit that has knitted everything together. I actually was at the game as well yesterday. You've totally ignored that, but don't worry, we'll put that into <laughs> the pod as well. Um, and I was in the Newcastle end, which was amazing, to be totally honest. Until obviously United got the Man United got the first one, and then yeah, I think they kind of realised that it was. Yeah, they weren't going to win. Um, but no, he listen, he's proven to be a, a defensive goal-scoring midfielder, which Roy Keane wasn't, was he? He's just unbelievable, to be totally honest. He's, he's, he's caught up to the speed of the Premier League immediately. Um, he's doing bits in cup games. He's orchestrating the whole way that United play um and he is what he always was has been an an absolutely fantastic footballer although people seem to only acknowledge the time that he's had at united
2: it is different i mean he does seem i didn't watch real madrid week in week out but he wasn't gallivanting he wasn't like scoring headers from free kicks he didn't have to gallivant
3: max he he didn't have to gallivant but you know yeah maybe he's been unleashed now and maybe his true qualities are, are shining through and it's exactly what United needed, but Real Madrid without Casemiro at the time that he was playing for them, maybe wouldn't have got over the line in many of those games. But yeah, he's 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 been. Listen, he's going to be up for Player of the Season, no doubt. If Man United keep going the way they're going, um, I would imagine he would be in the the eleven for the Player of the Year and and maybe in the shortlist for for Player of the Season as well. That's how good he's been um, over the period of time that he was here. But I just wanted to quickly say about Newcastle, who frustrated me no end. Maximum, who could have taken the ball by the horns yesterday, um, but seemed to always get to near the edge of the box. I don't know if you saw this, Naden, but he, you know, he got down on a, on a booking straight away. He then came up against wan And then he just kept, I don't know, it's like he ran out of ideas. And I don't know whether that's lack yeah. of match play or whatever else, but he seemed so exciting and then just ran out of ideas. And I think the biggest thing for Newcastle was Isaac coming on and then you know playing just behind Callum Wilson, who doesn't look like he's got a goal in him at the moment, by the way, um, and doing very well to ignite them until Man United shored up again and and, and started to create ch- chances on the break.
2: I like the idea of um I like the idea of Casemiro saying, "Look, don't have to gallivant. Happy to gallivant if you want me to. <laughs> like that, that, that's what I'm offering you, Barry. Almost eight minutes <laughs> fifty in. Which it comes to you? What did you make of this affair?
4: It wasn't a particularly good game and Manchester United didn't play brilliantly, but then they didn't have to because I thought Newcastle offered very little. They barely laid a glove on them, really. It started quite well and Alisson Maxman looked a threat early on, but uh, in the second half, Aaron uh, Wambasaka completely had him in his pocket and I think too many of Newcastle's big-name players didn't deliver on the day. Um, Bruno guimaraes didn't play well. I expected a lot more for him. Callum Wilson was largely anonymous. Miguel Almiron didn't have a particularly good game. Uh, Sean Longstaff was taken off at halftime. I, I don't know if that was a tactical switch, but he, he offered nothing as well. And then when you look at their bench, Isaac, obviously, record signing, he, he made a difference, but they brought on Jacob Murphy Joe Willock Matt Ritchie, Elliot Anderson, and you'd wonder if any of those have a future under this you know new Newcastle regime that you'd imagine most of them will probably be shipped out during the summer. United were all right, but they didn't have to be anything better than all right because i you know there's there's no. Newcastle fans will obviously be disappointed they missed out on yet another opportunity to win a, a trophy. I think that's five finals in a row they've lost. But um I'd be more disappointed in the manner of the defeat, which I thought was pretty it was a you know, they were okay, but they if they'd risen above played above themselves, they could easily have won this game, I think.
0: Yeah. Um Max timestamp this, yeah. This is gonna happen. So I would like to say, put it on record that I thought Man United defended really, really well yesterday. And the structure in which they do things is very impressive. I've got to say as well, I was in the sort of tunnel area afterwards, Lisandro Martinez, he isn't tall, but he's taller than I thought. Yeah, so I have to <laughs> give him credit for that. And there was a point, I think, in the first half when he had a clash of heads with Cher. Like, that's a little man getting up there. That's aggression for as much as he's not that tall. He's very committed. And defensively, they, because their attack wasn't really doing that much yesterday, defensively, they had to be solid and even though Newcastle were coming at them, and they seemed like they run out ideas at times, they did stay very, very committed. They had a plan. And to throw in another compliment there, most managers would have done the, say, Harry Maguire on early thing, brought, brought him on after like 60 minutes or whatever, but he kept it right to the very end. And all the tactics they were making were still showing pressure to Newcastle should they think that it can just play out from the back. And when a team does that, I think that's a sign of actual class and ability. So... In this moment, on this day, I I will praise praise Man United because they didn't play that well, but they still managed the game where the other side was given everything to try and beat them. So I apologise to my City people there, but I said it and I stand by it because it was very impressive.
2: Well, it's a great chance for the City fans to stick two fingers or one finger up at you to get the full... The full set. Uh, Andrew says, with um, uh, with with carrier uh, starting for Newcastle. When was the last time you were genuinely nervous, not for a team you support, but for a specific player before a game? I thought it was interesting, Troy. Even with the camera work, right? Man United. Whenever you know, Man United scored two goals, and the camera immediately went to Carrius, like to almost to try and create this story that we were waiting for. And look, like, you could argue that he might have done better with the second. But I think that's really harsh, given the ball is actually going on the ground from Rashford, and then it flicks up. There's nothing you can do about that header. Like, we were expecting, like, a Hollywood story one way or the other, and it just didn't happen,
3: did it? Well, that's the stories that were created straight after Pope got sent off, wasn't it? And it was always going to be coming into the game that there was going to be this whole... Um, kind of thing around the goalkeeper of Newcastle and, and what he would do. Obviously, I didn't see the replays, but I was wondering how the second goal went in. I was right behind, I was a little bit higher up and I was wondering how the second goal went in. I, I Maybe this is a bit harsh. I still think he should do better. Um, and there may be others that will, will say, because I think he was very low and I get that. But the deflection wasn't, I don't think it was a massive deflection to... That he couldn't adjust his body and 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 you know make a save there or, or get some fingertips on it. But again, I'm not a goalkeeping expert, and anyone that listens to this that is that wants to tell me that I've never played in goal, so I don't know what it's like. I'm happy for that. But the, the story is always always going to be around the goalkeeper. It was created last last week from Pope sending off and everyone saying that you know he should be able to play in the final. Um, I wasn't on that. The rules are the rules. You know, everyone knows it and the sympathy was there. But ultimately, Newcastle had to go in with a new goalkeeper. And listen, he made some routine saves. He wasn't under massive amount of pressure like from set pieces or stuff like that. But United scored the goals in the manner that they did that that won the game. And it's as simple as that, really. No no real fault to Karis. But like I said, I think he may have done better on on the second one.
4: I think he was under a massive amount of pressure, though, just going into the game. Like, And you could see there was one, I think the very first back pass he got, it looked briefly as if he was going to be stranded in no man's land. And, it, you know, you're thinking, oh, my God, please don't, don't let this happen to the poor guy. And then when Manchester United got their first corner, their players immediately surrounded him. And I thought, he played quite well I, I wouldn't apportion blame to him for either goal and it it could have been an absolute disaster for him given what what happened in that Champions League final and what's you know his lack of playing time since
2: uh, meanwhile Jim says can you envision a world where Eddie Howe isn't Newcastle manager next season not just based on the final they've been lacking for weeks if that continues they miss out on Europe could the owners decide they need a 2 or a Pochettino to push the club forward
4: what do you think Baz? Um, I hadn't really thought of it, to be honest. Yeah, but it's a harsh business, isn't it? Um, I think Eddie Howe will be fine uh, as long as the supporters are happy with him. But the fact of the matter is Newcastle have dropped a level in recent weeks. Um, The goals have kind of dried up. Performances are a bit flat. But I, I would be astonished if, yeah, if the fans were to turn on him. And I, I think they love him at the moment, but fans can turn very quickly. And I think there is, is it, is it entitlement the right word? A sense of entitlement among fans now because they have all this money. Uh, the squad does need a reboot. You know There are a lot of bang average players in that squad who were fighting against relegation this time a year ago. Uh, who I think will be shipped out, and it depends who comes in. I, I presume he'll be given the summer. But if they were to start next season and results were bad, yeah, I could definitely imagine him getting shown the door.
2: On the same subject, Nadem, as how tall people are. Paul says, "Is Les Ferdinand the tallest five foot eleven person ever? Himself and Roy Keane are the same height. Nothing <laughs> yeah. has ever shocked me as much. You know, I was, it was very good in the air."
0: <laughs> further than, uh,
2: wasn't he? Anyway, uh, unless anyone else has uh, anything vital to say about the uh, Carabao Cup final, we can move on to the Premier League and we'll do that in part two. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. We'll do the top of the league in a second, but let's start at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, Spurs 2, Chelsea Neil. Mark says, might the wishes of the Chelsea fans come quicker than they anticipated with a, uh, a, a one of those, at the ESL protests, one of them had a, a, like a, a, a banner in felt tip saying, we want our cold nights in Stoke. Um, Gary says, how soon after you finished recording the pod Chelsea announced Potter's dismissal? Um, another defeat for Chelsea. No goals in five games it's. I mean, it was that was poor from Chelsea, wasn't it? And you look at that team on the pitch, you think they've got to be better than that.
0: Yeah, um, I, t- I totally agree. I think even though, you know, we can say they don't have a number nine and so on, they do sell enough players on the field that should be able to score goals and to create tons of chances. But for some reason, it's just not there at this moment. And I think some ways, you look at confidence and the like, but they would fancy their chances of going and playing against Spurs. You know, Spurs are a good side, but they're not like this side who should... You know, have comfortable wins against anybody realistically in the league, but even though they are good like they can win, but it's just, it's weird. I, I find it really, really, really hard to talk about a struggling Chelsea side that isn't delivering action because for the last 20 years, anytime they even slightly struggle, action occurs and there's a new manager that comes in. But in the same breath with, with Graham Potter, I also don't want to see him sat because so I think it's a very tough job that he's got at this moment in time. And I think some of the stuff which you said in the last week about, receiving death threats and the like, I think that stuff is so, so poor. But then when they go out on the weekend and they don't win, before you know it, all those things just arrive again. I'd hate to be in his position. And obviously, you know, that's the only reason I'm not in management because I don't want to be Graham Potter. You know what I mean? Simple as that, Max. But it's, um, it's a tough situation that they're in. I don't know how it changes at the moment. Maybe they feel like they need a result to spark something, but then would I be surprised if they then lost the next game? Probably not. So I I'd, 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 I'd hold my hands up. I really don't know how to cover them at the minute because everything should be working, but apparently nothing works and I can't see why.
2: Yeah, I mean, they didn't create... What did they create, Troy? There was that moment where I think Havertz came through and Forster came out quite quickly. And 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 it's interesting, at that Dortmund game a week and a half ago, I thought they played really well. and I thought they were really unlucky. And then Southampton, they weren't good. And then you look at Graham Potter bringing on a Bamiyang, you know, and as he's stripping off, Spurs scored basically, the, the you know, the game that clinches it. You think, that looks like you're starting to panic now. Look.
3: His his starting elevens. I don't know if he's. Uh, someone might be able to tell me. Has he played the same starting eleven for one, two, two games on the spin? Is is making multiple changes? And for me,
2: I think it's seventy three changes. I think it's. I think, and I might be wrong. Wow. but I think we did the team news yesterday, didn't we? On the radio, Barry, um the reporter at the ground said, yeah, seventy. He's made seventy three changes uh, since he got there. Not in not in just the last game. That would be quite. A lot in. in, in but yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: he, he looks like a manager that's searching for a formula that is not within his, his squad. Um, and you've got to remember, they've made, listen, we all know, they've made massive amount of signings. Whether they're Grand Potter signings or not, he has now the players that should be able to get results. The one thing he's brought with him from Brighton is the fact that they can't score goals. They've gone from a team that very free-flowing before, all right, they they were, you know, under Tuchel, near the end, they were being questioned, but they've gone, they're not even creating much, which has to be a massive worry. And the permutations that he puts together for his team to go out and play, I've questioned it quite a bit. And look, we're right. No one deserves to receive that amount of hate um, and threats, which must worry him every single match day anyway, by the way. I don't think... We as fans, or, or you know, commentators, or pundits, appreciate that to be totally honest. But it's one win in eleven. It's it's four goals scored. It it's very hard to 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 kind of describe what is going wrong with the amount of players that they have to make the make the team look good. You look at Felix. He looks a good buy, but he's actually not there. So they're going to have to try and purchase him. Obviously, Thiago Silva came off yesterday, and for me, he's, again, I've been criticised for this quite a lot, um, particularly on the London Football Awards panel. I still think he's one of the best centre-backs we have in the league um, and has performed to that level every single time. But you take him out of the equation and they look really unorganised. Um, it's the first game. Chilwell and James had played together in quite a long time as well. That listen, he he's the puppet master. He should be the guy that knits them all together. But there's something drastically wrong, and despite the the kind of backing that he has, this can't continue for Chelsea. It it cannot continue in this vein.
4: Yeah, I think it's the problem. Might be that he has too many players at his resource uh, at his disposal. It's <laughs> kind of like when you get Netflix for the first time. I remember I was. Just overwhelmed by all this choice, you know. Where, where do I start? There's too much stuff here that I want to watch, or that I could. That you can't just go. Great. You can't
2: just go. Oh, Mudrick is trending. I'll just try that. That's number one in the UK. I'll just try that.
4: <laughs> yeah, and then you quickly realise that probably seventy percent of it is total shite that <laughs> isn't worth watching. So you just sort of well, and then start to work your way through what what is good. And I think it might be like that. He's just looking at this bloated squad with all these very good players going, oh, God, I have to, you know, whittle this down to 18 on a match day or whatever. And, um, yeah, it's, but like as as Troy says, it can't go on. You wonder, I mean, I think you should have that voice note recorded (laughs) and on standby because I keep expecting, you know, it to happen, and, and for Todd Bowley to pull the trigger, he he can't be happy with what he's seeing because the stats are so damning. Yeah, And there's no doubt Potter is a good manager. We've seen that at Brighton. But I would love... I suppose much depends on what the players think of him and what the mood is in the dressing room. Is it mutinous? Is it not? If it is mutinous, then you know he, he's got to go, you think.
2: Yeah, and actually that's an a question for Nadam, right? When he got the job, a lot of people said, "Look, he doesn't arrive at this club with trophies and medals in, on his CV. There are big players there who do have that, and there are big egos there. So, will they accept him? It, you know, is there a, is there a possibility that they just won't ever have accept that? You know, the first, he'll do a meeting, and then they'll all just get on WhatsApp afterwards. Going,
0: I'm not yeah. happy." Uh, you kind of said that like you know I've experienced that before Um, (laughs) uh, obviously when he arrives doesn't necessarily have the same history as other managers that tend to arrive at Chelsea but then there've been other managers who've arrived at Chelsea who have got all the accolades and other clubs actually they have all the accolades but then they're not successful either I think at the end of the day for me it comes down to what you do on the training pitch how you set the team up and can you find that little bit extra in terms of motivating them to go and be successful because the margins between yourself and any other team in the Premier League they're not so great to the point where by any result should be expected. And mate, they are struggling, but what I would say, like, regardless of whatever the manager's doing, like yesterday he puts out a team who's got two fullbacks who love to get forward. They've got four players up front who love to score goals. He's got Lots of who wants to participate as well. Enzo Fernandez, who wants to be front foot. They have a lot of attacking talent out there, yet still they're not scoring goals. And you could say, well, maybe it's because they don't respect the manager. But I tell you what, they'll probably love the idea of scoring goals in a game and winning. Because the feeling of losing and just not winning games itself is it's awful, especially for those players who are as good as they are. They won't most of those won't be used to going on runs like this for most. I imagine it's the first time they've ever been on a run like that. Obviously speaking from experience I had quite a few, but it's tough. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for them, I uh, I don't think it's a case of not respecting the manager. I think something is missing. Some of the players are out of form, but from the moment the manager sends the players across that white line. You you can tweak a formation, you can give information, but then they still need to put the ball back into the goal. And he can't step in there and separate the defenders for them and say, here you go, here's an an empty net. So I I don't know what's missing. And it'd be interesting to see what the players do think of him. But I don't think he's done anything that would make me think the players have basically sacked him off just because he doesn't have a history of winning trophies. Because at the end of the day, he's the man in charge and he's probably doing stuff that's good because otherwise he wouldn't be in that situation.
2: And he says, are Spurs good again? Brackets, please say yes. Uh, Troy, Oliver Skip, his first goal for Spurs, looks about 40. No discernible great attributes, but possibly like a deceptively good footballer.
3: Did you say looks about 40? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does, doesn't he? He looks, he
2: looks, he looks, when someone said, I think he's 22. And you were just like, come on, he can't be 22. And he's
3: doing a job. I think there was massive concerns, obviously, when the, the, Two players in Center Park got injured. Benton Kerr, obviously, massively. Um, not so much Basuma because but he's the replacement. But he stepped in, and he's he's on, <laughs> Skip is one of those steady players, isn't he? He'll give you the same kind of every week. He'll go unnoticed. Spurs have had a few of those come through the academy, but they do a job. And you know, yesterday he stepped up, and and what a cracking finish for his first goal.
2: I shouldn't say Oliver Skip was interviewed after the game. He seemed like a lovely man. I wasn't trying to be, just in case he's a massive fan of the pod. I'm a massive, massive fan of yours. As someone who looks incredibly (laughs) old. I mean, to be fair, Oliver, I am incredibly old. I'm double your age. Um, Boo.
0: (laughs) Zach says... Boo, he's walking it back. Boo, shame on you, shame (laughs) on you.
2: I've seen players improve with competition many times. I've never seen them doing it seemingly overnight like Emerson Royale has. Some other examples of underperforming players turning around their form with the introduction of competition. Yeah, he's looked really brilliant since Pedro Porro turned up. Um, there was also, Barry, this sort of bizarre VAR incident at the end of the first half where Ziyech was uh, booked, sent off, booked. But I think it was the right decision. I don't think that was a red card, was it?
4: Absolutely not. They it, it got to the right decision. It took a while and they seemed to go on it in an order that was somewhat arse about it. You would expect Stuart Atwell to look at the monitor before showing the red. He didn't. I don't know why. Uh, but, yeah, they got the right decision in the end. It it did seem to knock the, the stuffing out of everyone. You know, the, the crowd, I think, had no idea what was going on. I didn't really have much of a clue what was going on. But uh, it would have been very harsh for Ziak to get a, a red for that cuff.
2: At the King Power, Leicester nil, Arsenal one. Nadine, this was a very comfortable one nil, I thought, for Arsenal.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I had to. I was watching this game for some show. Again, I'm sorry, I do all the shows, but I was watching the game, and for Arsenal, they limited Leicester at home to having one shot, one shot, and that was from 25 yards out from Dewsbury Hall. And you think to yourself, that's so impressive. I think the way that they would keep possession, the chances they created. Obviously, they didn't score more than the one on the day but it was a good goal in itself and with a sort of variance of not having Nketiah playing up there with the three sort of like smaller forwards and it was yeah it was I was very impressed they're so good at attacking but one thing that sort of makes them really good is the way they can sustain attacks not many teams can keep good possession in the opposition's half but they really do ring right behind uh, where the ball is so when you think you've cleared it before you know Arsenal are coming again and it's a very very impressive performance they feel like they Back in that sort of groove again. And I, I've reached a point where I don't know. Well, no, I'll tell a lie. I don't know anyway. I was going to say, I don't know when I'll see them dropping points, but it's football, it's the Premier League. Anything could happen, but they're very much in a good spot. It seems like the good feeling is back after having a bad 10 days. You know, some people called it a crisis, but now all of a sudden they're back to the top of the league, five points ahead of Man City, eight points ahead, ahead of Man United. And yeah, very much in control of their own destiny. So it's very, very impressive because, as I say, to limit a side like Leicester, just one shot. Obviously, they didn't have Madison, but to limit them to one shot is uh, is some going.
2: Yeah, you talked about restricting them. Akers says, I know how you guys love an XG discussion. I noticed that Leicester mustered cumulative 0.01XG today. How bad does a chance have to be to register 0.01? What was the shot from the moon? Surely surely a gold kick could catch a gust of wind and be at least 0.02. Um, um, a guy says, uh, was Lee Mason on VAR at Leicester? Yeah, we wondered yesterday, Barry, if, um, if that was his leaving present to be the VAR. And... And and interestingly, and I'll come to you, Troy, on this, about the the difference in how much Ben White was fouling Danny Ward for that goal that was disallowed, eventually that brilliant goal by Trossard, compared to how much Harry Souter was was it Pikay Saka he was dragging down? Um, how much of a foul that was? I mean, like, I don't believe in conspiracy theories apart from of course made him throwing the 2012 Premier League but um, but 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 really if I was an Arsenal fan I'd start to think this is getting a bit
3: odd now isn't it I think I'm going to upset a few here um, I thought it was a foul on Ward it doesn't matter um, how much of a foul it is he's the goalkeeper White has locked his arm so he can't you know, he can't punch with two arms. He's had to punch with one. It's a great finish from Trossard. And, and I'd, I'd love him to have, to have had that because he's been an exceptional signing already for the club. But I think it's a foul.
2: Yeah. I suppose you can't, you can't hold the goalkeeper's hand. It, just seem, it does seem well. Well,
3: in the grand scheme of things, that, that's <laughs> for me, yeah. But I also, you're right, I also think it's a pen. And those are the kind of situations for me that the referees have to get tougher on. Because it's one of those, if it's anywhere around the pitch outside the box, I think he gets a free kick. So I don't know what that communication is that says, well, it wasn't enough of A. I hear that quite a lot. It wasn't enough of A. But for me, it's a penalty. And again, when you're able to get multiple views, we talk about clear and obvious. I don't know what clear and obvious means when, when VAR comes into play. But for me that's a penalty. So I, I I think they 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 got the first one right. It's nothing against my uh, the way that I perceive Arsenal, but um, I thought they got the Saka one wrong. But like Nadham says, I thought it was a very, very mature performance from Arsenal and I like the fact that they utilise Arteta utilised Trossard and Martelli, Martinelli in the way that he did. I thought en- and and needed a break he's been he's been so good for so long but it's almost like he needed a he needed a break and and those two were perfect for that game and it's a great win for Arsenal great win
4: I think any other player if it's anywhere on the pitch outside the box gets a free kick Saka no <laughs> he, he doesn't get free kicks <laughs> that's that's anywhere a conspiracy
2: I want I wanted to come to you, Barry, with one of those questions, which is, Harry Souter is big, isn't he? I mean, we talked about deceptively big players. What about actually big players? I mean, it's almost like Trossard could have nutmegged him and then just run <laughs> through his legs <laughs> afterwards.
4: Yeah, it's not a great look when you're that tall and you get nutmegged like that. And I think Suter has played quite well for Leicester since joining, albeit having, I think, scored an own goal in his opening game. And then... Uh, wrestling sack it to the ground there and being lucky not to concede a penalty and getting nutmeg. But yeah, it's just, it was unfortunate. It doesn't look great, but I don't think there's a huge amount you could do about it.
2: And we can't be smaller for that game. <laughs> we can't look at the opposition and go, oh, they're playing Trossard Falls 9. <laughs> I'll just put my boots on the end of my knees and just sort of waddle, waddle about. City um, so kept the pace up. They on 4-1 at Bournemouth. Um, Made them quite an ex- expected result, you know, instead of XR you know (laughs) and very it it was just very straightforward wasn't it it's quite hard to analyse it any more than that apart from Phil Foden was good
0: yeah Phil Foden was good and I think that's going to be a big deal for City going forward because I think for the previous two months or so he'd either been out of the team or not playing too well but for them to have that competition for places again up in those forward areas I think it'll probably bring out the best kind of like we're seeing with Emerson Royale who knows maybe the next time someone plays the next guy will be incredible Um, but yeah it was expected and Bournemouth you can see they're just run out of whatever it was that they had for that little period. They're very much struggling. If This is the way that results will go at home. Just imagine when they go on their travels. So, fair play to City. They got the result. They needed to do it. I think some people, some Arsenal fans would have been hoping for something bad to happen, but miracles don't always happen. And for City, it was pretty routine. They're getting in a groove. Players got a chance to play. who hadn't played for a little while. And um, yeah, the chase is well and truly on still.
2: I think, I think that little period for Bournemouth was a game if, I, if i'm remembering yeah. correctly but you know, still counts i guess as a
4: little period they've got arsenal and liverpool next up i think so it, it's looking bleak for bournemouth yeah we have said that before haven't we i
2: mean it's so tight at the at the bottom we can do uh west ham forest four nil um four goals in 20 minutes feels troy unlikely for west ham to ever score four goals in 20 minutes i mean i don't know if i'm laying the the blame there at Nottingham Forest to achieve something actually quite spectacular by allowing West Ham to score four times in such a short period of time.
3: Well, when you've got a forward like Danny Ings who who smells goals from everywhere, doesn't he? And I think listen, David Moyes is under pressure, and it's the the second time that he's been under pressure and they produced a really really good result. The first being Everton. Um, so there were rumors during the week again that he's you know, likely to be replaced if they didn't get a result this time. And it's almost like the players turned up for him again. It was almost like this was going to be a game that they were never going to lose because they wanted to keep their manager, um, unlike Chelsea's performances. And Danny Ings was the difference to start with. You know, he scored two... Brilliant goals, poacher's goals, you know, created the first one himself and didn't just admire his crossfield pass, I think, to Jared Bowen. He made sure that he was on the end of the ball when Bowen put it in a a very, very good position. The second one, same, a little poacher's goal. Great work on the the wing by uh, Ben Rama. And then Declan Rice, who's recently been criticised for not contributing with enough goals, scores an absolute beauty. So, uh, look. Yeah, a lot of goals in a short space of time. Forest had put, obviously, they've, they've had a good run and it should never be taken away from them what Cooper has done there since he signed his, his his contract when everyone thought he was getting the sack. But their away form is not great. And I think I saw a stat where they'd only scored three goals away from home. So maybe it was a time that they were going to kind of cave in almost. And, and, and this was the game and... and I'm sure Antonio will be pleased because he hasn't been scoring goals when he's been starting. So coming on and getting one as well was was massive for him. Um, the Jesse Lingard derby didn't end up very well for Forrest, did it?
2: Can I ask you, Nalem, about Danny Ings? Troy said that look, he smells goals from anywhere. You know, people talk about instinct, you know, this sort of unquantifiable thing that you cannot teach. And is that, is that, is that and I, I, I sort of feel that, like I must have said that a million times, but is that real is that a real thing or does that mean obviously Danny Ings practices all the time? Like, like, but I guess there are centre forwards who practice all the time and we you know, Neil Mopay, I presume, practices who just yeah. can't smell a goal from <laughs> anywhere. Well, wow. um,
0: I think, I know where you're coming from and I think it's, every striker will probably will practice their finishing but then the teams and the way they create chances might be a bit different um, and I think for Ings, I think he's very, very good at sort of recognising the right spaces to run into. There are some attackers where, they just stand in the box, and they're the ones who wait for you to sort of look away from them. Then they'll move, and they'll put themselves in the right area. They'll make a movement to the left to then go right because they know the cutback's going to come. I think Ings has a real good understanding of where his players going to be putting the balls into. I think he's consistently been that throughout his career. So I think he does have an instinct for it. I think his teammates know where to play it as well. And say he's one of those strikers where if a ball goes across a six-yard box, He's going to be like throwing his whole body at it because he senses that's going to be the right place to play the ball. And not every striker has that, but he definitely does. Like they can all finish, but you know, you'd rather have a tap in from six yards than say the striker that pulls to 12 to try and send one into the top corner because that's why we talk about XG because these chances make a difference.
2: Yeah. It's sort of fair play to the center forwards who aren't instinctively good at scoring goals, but have yet made a career out of being a centre-forward in professional football. That is quite admirable, isn't it? Uh, That'll do for part two. Part three, begin at Elland (music) Road. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Leeds one Southampton nil. Huge win, Troy, for Javi Gracia there. First win since they beat Bournemouth 4-3 on the 5th of November. Uh, They deserved it, didn't they?
3: Yeah, they did. It's never easy going to somewhere like Leeds, but this was one of those, and I know you'll say to me, but every game is a must-win, but this was a must-win game. The battle of the two new gaffers. Leeds are always very bright at their place if they know that they can sniff a, an opportunity of victory. And, and listen, the goal, wow, the goal. Um, Nadim's probably better describing this than me, but Bentorek, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what he was doing in front of his keeper, and then to decide to almost pull his leg away from a shot that probably should have been comfortably cleared, comfortably saved. One of those where you can actually wait for the ball to come to you before you do one of them dramatic dives in front of you. And it's the difference. It's the difference between you know the three points that Leeds got and um, the, the no points that Southampton got. I, in the grand scheme of things, you just need to accumulate the points, um, something that, that they've done well at home and obviously we can't describe away from home. And I think for Garcia, who I'm surprised got the job, I've got to be totally honest, um, but there you go, it's, it's a long way in. But, you know, I don't think it will matter. Yes, the fans on the day would like to know, know that their team is playing towards a structure and a plan, but just get over the line. And I think that's what Leeds did in this one. They, they just got over the line and particularly because Southampton would have gone in full of beans after you know their famous win against Chelsea the week before, but they couldn't follow it up. And you know the, the three points go to Leeds.
2: Do you think, Nadeem, I mean, that goal is obviously defensively, there are so many times when they could make a challenge or clear it. But do you think with Bednarek, because he scored a hilarious own goal yeah. about a week or two ago, he thought, I can't do <laughs> another one. I mean it's a split second, it's a split second thing. So maybe you don't have time to process it like that.
0: It's almost like someone just lassoed his feet just as the ball was coming to him and they just, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's one of those ones where you, you need to ask him, but then like naturally no one's evil enough to ask him what what were you thinking? Uh but I don't know, it's I feel like it's happened a few times this year where people have just glitched. Do you remember the David De Gea goal He conceded where he was just standing on his post as the ball just ricocheted around and went Yeah. And, yeah. I, I don't I, I can't I can't explain it. It's just a horrendous goal as well because then after that, maybe Bozunis had to react late, but I still think he he's like dived over the top of it and they had them leads in the corner with nothing going on. Like, when you're down at the bottom. If you beat Leeds, you go above them, Leeds go to the bottom. Then you concede one of the worst goals you can concede throughout the whole season and nobody can explain how any of it's come to be. I think there's a picture of Ward Prowse just standing in the distance just looking and thinking like, what has gone on here? You know what I mean? Like, what what is life, But <laughs> Yes, it's...
3: um. I, I can't He's be, probably thinking "Have i got to score another free kick to get them out yeah, of this.
0: Yeah, it seems that way, but yeah, I, I can't, I cannot explain that one. But as I say, I'm not evil enough to just reach out to him and ask, like, did, you, did you, your controller just fail to connect for a second or like what happened to you, Paul?
2: I think, it, I think if you're someone who doesn't regularly talk to Jan Bednarek to then get in touch and that would be really quite unkind. <laughs> Mark, Mark, uh, Mark Bosnick calls those dives a Sydney Harbour Bridge where you sort of Sort of guys, quite an accurate description. <laughs> what you really want is a kind of London Bridge, which is just a straight dive, don't you?
3: Max, do you mind if I ask, native have you ever had that thought where you know I'm going to clear it? Oops, no, I'm not. Yeah, um, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing, so I'm just going to leave it to the keeper.
0: Yeah, I've uh, I've had that once or twice. Yeah, um, it's, it tends <laughs> to be those sort of like balls which get put into, do you know, that. That territory between the six-yard box, goalkeeper, and all that. Yeah, it's like, I've totally got this. No, no, the keepers totally got this, and now, oh no, the striker's got it. We've lost. We've conceded. Ah, <laughs> oh, right. Never mind. But this is this is football. This is why we love it. You know what I mean? Clearly, I'm over this.
2: Uh, Michael says, uh, "Did Everton keep the receipt for Sean Dyche? Can they send him back?" Um, I don't. I don't know if that's harsh. <laughs> you know, two wins, two defeats. Probably have taken that. Um, but Troy, this wasn't. This wasn't a. I mean, I guess you know, this is fine margins and and like had things gone the other way, but I thought they I thought they looked a bit flat
3: in this game. They did in the second half. Um, I thought it was a a decent end to end game in the first half. With with you know, when I say decent, that the ball got turned over quite a lot. So there's attacks at one end, it gets turned over. There's attacks at the other. Um, Villa were very threatening. I I'm gonna say I, I'm. Damari Gray is Everton's top goal scorer. He has been one of the only sparks over the last, obviously, year or so since he's been at the club. Um, and yet he sits on the bench for quite a long time since Sean has come in. I'm not sure if that's because of his results in the bleep test or whatever it may be. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that he has spent so long on the bench. If you look at the way, our, like I said, the way Arteta went on, on Saturday with his Martinelli, Saka, um Trossard partnership, I I see Grey as potentially being someone who, you know, playing up front would at least stretch the opposition and make them think differently right in front of them. The current come, come at the guys in sorry, I'm losing my words here because I'm so disappointed at this result because it was an opportunity to 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 get out of the position they were in. One in 17 for 15 million pounds striker is not good considering we don't spend money that much six defenders on the bench plus a keeper, so there's not a lot to to look at um after that and only six goals in the last eleven. Um but Villa were good, you know, particularly after their last result and their front pairing was very good. Um and it's the ultimately the front pairing, Watkins and McGinn, um, that were involved in and Buendia, when he came on, who was who was again, exceptional when he came on that that won them the game in two very, very quick moments.
2: Six defenders and a keeper seems like a brilliant Sean Dyche bench to me. I hope they're all centre-backs. Um, anyway, Barry?
4: I, I really do fear for Everton because the, you just don't know where the goals are going to come from. You know, you can't rely on Seamus Coleman to whip in worldies every week. I think the other goal they got under Dyche was a Tarkowski header at a corner, was it? But Mopé, you know, Mopé scored in his second appearance for Everton and that ended, well, at the time it ended a 12-match uh, barren streak. But with the benefit of hins- hindsight, we now know it just began a 17-match uh, barren streak. <laughs> and he works hard, but he, he just is... He's awful in front of goal. For a striker, a centre-forward, I mean, that's a terrible return. He should have had a couple on, on uh, Saturday. Dominic Calvert-Lewin's injured again, even when he's fit. He wasn't scoring. Uh, he's only got one, I think, this season so far. Damari Gray's on the bench. So I, I just do not know where they're going to get the goals to keep themselves up. And they can't keep clean sheets, which is a worry.
2: Yeah, and in, back in the bottom three, they play Arsenal midweek. Then they have games against Chelsea, Spurs, and Manchester United coming up in their next five. I mean, that is that is not an easy run, is it? Um, Palace, Liverpool. Tony says, assume you'll be going big on Palace, Liverpool. Um, Nadem, I know everybody talks about Trent Alexander-Arnold's defending, and I almost feel like stubborn about not wanting to talk about the thing that everyone else is talking about, but it doesn't appear to be very good.
0: Um, yeah, uh, I kind of know where you're coming from here, Max. That's, I think I totally understand and. It's, I think some of the elements of defending is. it's not even like technical it's just the mentality to do it just to be aggressive and to really defend well because he wouldn't be playing for Liverpool if he like physically couldn't defend but just at times I just think he's too he's too relaxed about things in a moment where you need like a huge sense of urgency he kind of goes missing and I think for lots of people they're prepared to offset it because of his amazing attacking um, potential but I don't know it's He's a fantastic player, but I just want him to just like just love defending just that little bit more. I'd rather see him high-fiving a centre-back because he made a great tackle sometimes than seeing him you know be trying to start the next attack by taking a potential risk. But then again, this is why I'm not a manager, because you'd probably hate my football, because I'd probably have six centre-backs out there. You know what I mean? Just secure it at the back. Um, yeah. He's he's a good player. Like Defensively, he makes mistakes, but everyone does. But because we have a thing about him, we sort of focus on his just that little bit more. And I think in some ways you could argue that's unfair, but then he himself likely doesn't want to watch back some of those instances, but Klopp still trusts him. And for Klopp to to still trust him after all these years, I think it just goes to show that, you know, he, he understands the player better than we do to some extent. Is it is it
2: kind of, I mean, and in, 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 well, I was going to say I hate comparing the Premier League to Sunday League. I don't, I love comparing it to it. But, you know, in Sunday League football, it is so much easier to run when you're attacking than when you're defending. It's just easier. It just doesn't, you you have a you just feel like, oh, I want to run to, to get that <laughs> ball. Whereas I don't want to run to track that guy. But like presumably that that can't be the same at the absolute top level. Of
0: yes. Football. Yeah, of course it is. That, that, that's literally football in a nutshell. Roberto Mancini spoke to Michael Richards and he said, when you're running forward, it's like you're running downhill. And then when you're coming back, it's like you're running uphill to try and get <laughs> back in. And like, that's exactly what it is. Because when you're running forward, you've got the carrot of a goal in there or like a huge involvement. Whereas when you're running back, Like, it's only for the real, like, defensive weirdos out there. And unfortunately, I was one of them who sprints faster going back than he do going forward because you're desperate to be involved. But most of the people, they'll just leave it to someone else. And the ones you need to look out for the most, Max, is a bit of insight for you. Yeah. Are the ones whereby, say there's a break for the opposition and people are running back and then the keeper gets it. Whoever the keeper throws the ball to next, who's on the halfway line, completely free, they're the ones who sacked off defending but now get the crowd excited they're the ones you need to keep an eye out for because you never see them if you concede but then they're the hope of the whole stadium when the next attack begins and they unfortunately are scumbags
2: <laughs> <laughs> Jack says Jürgen Klopp just said on Sky Sports he learned that a shot that hits the bar isn't on target tonight Troy is in very good company there well done Troy Thank you. Nobody can see you Thank lifting you. your hands to the sky. It's, an audio, yeah, I it's know. an audio medium. Yeah,
3: I know, but you've just told them that I did so that they can now visualise me doing that. <laughs> Thank you, Jürgen. I always had a lot of time for you um, and I appreciate your your understanding in this time.
2: Uh, the other game on Friday night, Fulham won Wolves 1. Ketters. who would win in a joust between Jourier and Sir Rabia? Um, Yeah, smart finish from him. Manuel Solomon got another goal off the bench for Fulham. You sort of feel, Barry, that, it's a bit of a missed opportunity here for Fulham. You know, it's, it's unlikely they're going to be in the hunt for Europe every season. And they are. And you shouldn't drop the points at home to Wolves. I, I don't
4: know. I, I, I thought that game had a draw written all over it, to be honest. It duly happened. So I am wise. Uh, I, I, I think it's you are a pretty wise. satisfactory result for both teams. I don't think um, Fulham deserved to win. Uh, I don't think they deserve to lose. And I thought Manor Solomon, he's those three goals he's got off the bench. They're all good, and <laughs> they're all. It's kind of the same goal yeah. three times, isn't it? But this was the pick of them. But um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's a particularly bad result for Fulham.
2: All right. Then. Uh, in the Scottish League Cup, Celtic beat Rangers two one. Uh, Chris Sutton tweeted: uh, "This isn't a dig, but Michael Beale hasn't won anything yet as a player or a manager." Sounds like a big to, 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 to me. Barry, you watched this, uh, I believe. Um and you know, uh Furahashi has been great for Celtic and, and he was the he was the match winner.
4: Yeah, for the second um League Cup final in a row, he was uh, on the double, I think. It was a pretty straightforward win for Celtic, to be honest. Uh they went two 0 up through Furahashi. Rangers pulled a goal back through Alfredo Morelos. And I have a feeling, and I'm sure I'll be corrected if I'm wrong, but I have a feeling that's the first goal he scored against Celtic. Well, I could be mistaken. But towards the end, it was all one-way traffic, and that traffic was very much Celtic players uh, converging on the Rangers' goal and peppering uh, Alan McGregor. And then uh, he had to make a save. Uh uh, missed two pretty decent chances. Matt O'Reilly missed a chance. So uh, when you would have expected Rangers to be thrown this kitchen sink at Celtic, it was actually the other way around and they were it was pretty like like the uh, League Cup final at Wembley it was pretty straightforward.
2: Uh, now, when we just after we finished recording on Thursday, uh, the news reached us that John Motson had passed away at the age of 77. Uh, tributes have been paid to him from across the football world. Uh, it's probably fair to say that, along with I'd say Barry Davis and Brian Moore in TV terms, these guys were the, the soundtrack. Motty was the soundtrack to every British football fan who's probably between the age of 35 and 60, Troy. I mean, it's sort of those guys who who commentated for so long on so many major tournaments. On so Match of the Day, you know, they picked out some of Motti's highlights. It's just so many amazing goals that almost by osmosis, he becomes part of your life.
3: It's the voice you recognise first, isn't it? It's the, the person that's on the end of the microphone that's coming through your TV screen that excites you about the game, particularly in those major moments. Um, the one I love is, is the French goal against Portugal in the Euro semi-final, you know, he brought us into that stadium. Platini last minute, just the excitement of, of the, the kind of play, you know, the build-up play and the ball in the back of the net, that kind of stuff. So when a commentator can send chills down your spine as if you wish you were there, that's the mark of a person and he'd done it on quite a number of occasions.
2: Yeah, he was, um, my experience when him was, I mean, like a football obsessive. You know, football, I think Lineker said I mentioned today, that was his subject, you know, and he was like 100% football. Um, And I don't know, Nadim, if you sort of think, it's when you think about these, you know, people that have, you've heard for so long. I I suspect part of it is you sort of think about your own mortality, or you just think about your own aging uh, as part of this idea of this person that has just been sort of there, just an ever-present Oh, and Barry made a good point as well as so when we were growing up, like there wasn't actually that much football on the telly, right? So, so everybody was hearing the same voice and watching the same game.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think he's one of those, um, or he's one of those people that sort of unites people who love the game of football. I think you mentioned before, thirty-five to sixty something. But I think anyone who loves football, who likes the history of football, who watches back in terms of how World Cups were won, FA Cup finals, you know, the Ronnie Radford one, like that's his voice. You've heard it before, but you might not know who he is. If you're old, you know who he is, but you recognise that voice. And that, like as I say, it it unites us all. And it's so sad that he's passed. But then what a run he had. I think he was born in 1945. You know, it's, it's incredible. And the fact that he was such a big deal to a game that we love so much. And as you mentioned, it's not a monopoly as such. But today, if you wanted to watch the highlights of the game, of the cup final yesterday, you could see them across many platforms. And hear different voices, probably have it on mute because there's a lot of nonsense to get spoken about these days. But with John, like that's that's his voice, you know, whether he's shouting Beckham, whether he's shouting Radford, where it's like, Tigana, Tigana. You know, these are iconic moments in football history, which he was a big part of, trusted to be there for, and people love them. It's, it's He's one of the big reasons why we love the game of football because, you know, it's one thing seeing it. But as Troy was saying, to almost get the goosebumps because of the way they describe it, like that's a job done very, very well. And most of us wouldn't be involved in the game today if some of that love didn't come from some of those moments which he uh, covered himself.
2: This is uh, on a slightly different subject from a friend of the pod, Joa Kim, saying, looking at this, what is the worst thing you've ever seen printed on a shirt? Uh, yes, it's uh, somebody who's in full Aston Villa kit with uh, Stag Bon Lahore. 69, oh, um, that's the end of days. Yeah. That is the end yeah. of days, isn't it? I mean, presumably, I mean, what we don't know is he, did he like that? But, he, you know, if it was like ultra ironic, like like if, if Barry had a stag do and I got him that, like he would be so angry, <laughs> it would almost <laughs> be worth it. But I don't think I could... Yeah, I am mean, it's sort of agony.
4: I think the chances of me having a stag you <laughs> at this stage are pretty <laughs> slim.
2: <laughs> David says, isn't Adam happy with the photo BBC Sport chose for him for his contributions on their live text feed? He looks well pissed off in it.
0: Interestingly, I've not seen that one, but I can tell you a story about that. There was a sh- another show, I was doing like the FA Cup Highlight show one time. And then they were doing a trail for something. And there was a picture of me, uh, Troy Deeney, and someone else that was going to be coming on a show. And they put my head on, I think, Dion Dublin's body. But my head was too small. <laughs> the shows oh, were really wide. And it was really surreal because <laughs> I was thinking, I've never taken a picture with the BBC. How have they got this? Then I looked. I was like, oh, my God. The absolute state of me here i've been done it someone in the backs tried to do a good job it was a <laughs> disgrace great. it was an absolute disgrace so yeah i expect nothing but bad pictures of me on the internet anyway so i get over it now but yeah what a moment that was
2: finally Chris says hi max barry and the gang um your podcast is simply quite brilliant thank you so much uh over the years i've grown to feel like listening to it is like checking in with a bunch of mates down the pub uh, well in a few weeks i'm hoping those mates will help me get through a bit of a challenge i'm undertaking i'll be running a marathon at the North Pole in the 18th edition of the North Pole Marathon. It could be as cold as minus 50. Blimey. And my plan is to keep four to five of the pods unlistened to have us company as while I run around the ice. It will undoubtedly be the hardest thing I've ever done. I'm hoping your company will keep me going. Um, I'm running it to support a local autism charity. My six-year-old was diagnosed uh, on the autism spectrum aged four. Any help you could give in promoting my fundraising would be hugely appreciated. I'm running the North Pole Marathon in support of Cheshire Autism. Uh, There's a GoFundMe page. Uh, I'll tweet it out and uh, get everyone to retweet it. Um, uh, Thank you for everything you do and the joy your show brings to so many people. You won't be saying that a mile 18. <laughs> a <ton> <laughs> ride, will you? Um For a long-suffering and now optimistic Manchester United fan, Chris. Chris will know. Um, uh, Barry, uh, would you like to wish Chris the best of luck to run the North Pole Marathon?
4: Well, I, I'm guessing if he's keeping these stored up, he won't, he may not hear this until he's actually running the marathon and almost certainly regretting his decision <laughs> to, Possible to take on this monumental ordeal and i I wish him all the very best and i'd rather him than me and uh yeah good luck to good luck chris i I
2: am i i think it's good that the pod has reached the north pole i'd be very interested you know if you do listen and you're sort of in a remote part of the world uh that would be uh, it'd be great if you could get in touch uh football weekly at theguardian.com producer joel suggests a foot a north pole live show i mean it's ambitious but you know Give it a go. <laughs> Darryl
4: Breen did a stand-up gig in some really remote, far-flung outpost quite recently. I can't remember where exactly, but it's one of those places where it's like dark, more or less twenty-four hours a day. All oh, right. And yeah, everyone was walking around dressed like the Michelin Man. But um, yeah, so yeah, if if you are in a remote spot, get in touch.
2: Yeah, it could be your stag do, can it? A Michelin Man. Stag Bond Lahore sixty nine. Everything comes together. Uh, anyway, look, that'll do for today's podcast. Uh, thank you, Barry. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Adam. Thank you very much. Thank you, Troy.
3: Pleasure, Max. Uh,
2: Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens.
0: This is the Guardian.